0: A Start On Demand. demand.
1: A Winnipeg City Councillor wants a ban on handguns after a fatal shooting outside the Windsor Hotel over the weekend. We speak to a number of listeners who were open and honest about being responsible gun owners. The Trudeau government has begun public consultations on medically assisted death. And should we be changing street names, monument names, school names, because of who they're named after? I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry and McNabb, and this is the Tuesday, January 14th podcast for the start. And I am very frustrated today. I did it again what did you do, Brett? Well, I, I was already bu- running behind. Didn't get to work till four fifteen. I've been trying to get here by four. I had a stretch there where I was coming in at three forty-five, and uh, I get in at four fifteen. So I'm already behind. And then I, as soon as I'm walking up the stairs, I realized I left my phone Ugh. at home.
2: All the way here. Yeah. That's a terrible, it's one thing to be halfway, but to be like at the door. And this is the second time it's happened in what, two months? I feel like we went through this a few months ago. We came up with a strategy for you. Did we not? Or did we just say, don't forget? Was that the helpful strategy?
1: It it was the phone wallet keys. I got to do the phone phone, wallet keys. keys. There it was. And I didn't do it today. And sure enough, I get to work and it's, now I think part of the problem too is because I know if I forget it, it's a quick ride home. it, It took me 20 minutes to get there and back. Uh, and that's going having to run up to the sixteenth floor. But still, frustrating start to the day. I'm all behind. I'm all discombobulated. I'm, I'm just knocking. See, I'm knocking Greg's papers over. I wonder that's if it's chaos and anarchy. Time
2: of year. I have yesterday and today turned around to make sure I closed the garage door. And I was about five minutes into my drive, and you know you've done it, mm-hmm. but you got to go back to check because then you start envisioning home invasions up the yin yang <laughs> and hockey bags stolen out of the garage and all sorts of things, and me later saying to the husband, no, I I shut it.
1: I often will, like, lock my door and go press the button for the elevator, and then I have this, like, compulsive need to to make sure that the stove is off. Even, yeah. even if I didn't cook anything the day before, I, I just feel like, did I, is the stove on?
2: I, on the way to hockey last night, said to my son, did I shut the stove off or, or the oven off? He's like, you used the stove. Like, even he knew that I hadn't even touched the oven, but in my head— I needed to know. I'm sitting here judging both of you. Keep talking. I'm enjoying this very much. Because you don't do any of these things? Oh, no, I
0: do it all the time. When I get in, (laughs) I have to come up. There's a place in our building on the second floor here where I can see down to where I park my vehicle. And I go and I double check and I lock it again like a second time. Because I was at a Jets game last year and I got to my seat and I looked at Brendan and I said... I think I forgot to lock the car. He goes, you locked it for sure, dad. I'm like, I don't think I did. So I went back and the security guard, once you're in the arena, they have a zero checkout policy. And I said, I know I'm not really allowed to leave here, but here's the scenario. I'm pretty sure I didn't lock my car and the guy scanned my ticket let me out. Long story short, we walked all the way back to Portage in Maine. Portage or Maine and Pioneer, to be exact, and sure enough I had forgotten to oh, lock it. Good oh, good for God. you then. So, we went back and uh locked it and I've been paranoid about it ever since. So now I triple quadruple check it all <laughs> the time. I need to hear that Beep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just to make sure and then I do it again once I get up the stairs so no you're not alone in this.
1: Well, if let us know at 204-780-6868 if you any have any sort of compulsive behaviors like this where you got to double check, triple check even though you know you did it. You know you did it but you still feel like you got to check. I do that every time Jeff and I record the couch potatoes. I will cuz I Press record on a computer in one booth, and then we rec- we do it out of another booth. And I think one time I forgot to hit record. Mm-hmm. So now I will hit record, walk into the booth, sit down, and then I say, nope, I got to go double check. And then I have to go double check and sometimes triple check because I don't want us to have to sit there for 10 minutes and then have to redo it. It's crazy it
2: how you don't trust your own brain in that moment. Like you can say, I know, I know I don't have to go back. I know I don't need to do this. But you still do.
1: Yeah. And as the
0: elder statesman of the group, let me tell you this it doesn't get any better. We should get than you a shirt that says at. that. What, elder statesman? Yeah. Nah, thanks. But no, save your money. I kind of like that
1: though.
2: Yeah. Oh, come on. Really? I think that sounds dignified.
1: I can get you a championship belt? I'll take that. The elder statesman? I'll take that. <laughs> I'll wear that everywhere, Brett. So. A handgun ban. I asked the question on our 680 CJOB Instagram story, would a handgun ban reduce crime? City Councilor Sherry Rollins calling for this in the wake of the shooting that happened outside the Windsor Hotel. And uh, I think we we have a text message here from Robert who, uh, yeah, we got some text messages overnight. And yesterday on this subject, people weighing in, what do you guys think? Can I ask you that?
2: I, yeah, no, I think that's fair. I mean, it comes up it comes up regularly. I remember working uh, in Toronto years ago when there was a series of gun-related gun homicides, and that was the call back then. And then Toronto's had another deadly year, and Winnipeg's had a deadly year, and Ottawa's had some issues, and all these city politicians are saying, let's ban handguns. And so Trudeau has said, sure, I'm going to change. I'll, I'll work at changing the law so that city by city, you can decide whether you want to ban or not. And and. I don't know how I feel about an overall national ban, but a city by city by law where like, it's okay to have a gun outside of Winnipeg but not inside, it makes no sense to me.
0: Not going to work. Police say it's not going to work. I usually de- defer to the experts on this. And it feels odd for me to say that out loud because I think gun control is something that needs to be done. There need to be certain levels of protection and applications and review when you go and acquire A firearm in a legal fashion. But as we know, the weapons that are being used in crime are not acquired in a legal fashion, Mm -hmm. typically. So um, we can do that if we want, but I don't know if it's going to help. Well, I believe it won't do a darn thing.
2: Devil's advocate here, though, on the flip side. For example, when you take an argument like climate change and you hear all sorts of naysayers saying, why does Canada have to do something when you have countries like India and others Creating the world's bulk of pollution, right? We, that comes up all the time. So when you think of the gun ban, we, we often people are saying, well, why would we do that when the biggest gun market is just an hour and a half south of the border? You can get all the guns you want in the United States and they're being smuggled back in. But isn't that the same as throwing your hands up in the air saying, we're not going to do anything because the other country is contributing more to the problem? Well, I I don't think
0: you need a gun ban to enforce rules about how you're supposed to secure your weapons if you own them in your home. That's a different question altogether if you're acquiring them legally. Uh, This is something that's just been sort of thrown at us in the last few hours. I'd have to sit down and really map out my strategy on this. But I've always felt that you should be complying with uh, how you store and lock up Your guns, if you choose to have them in your home and if you acquired them legally, you should be very much following those rules and regulations because we know a lot of the weapons that are used in crime aren't just stolen from a criminal. That have been acquired in a criminal fashion, they are stolen from home invasions, from break-and-enters where people are not properly locking and securing but their weapons. That's what I would need to
2: see. What percentage of guns stolen are taken from legal gun owners versus illegal means?
1: We'll have more on this throughout the morning on 680 CJOB, including at 637. Text message from Erica on the compulsive behavior. Erica says, one day a few years ago in minus 40 weather, I came home and my back door was wide open. It was freezing inside the house, so it must have been open all day. Ever since, I triple check my door before I leave every day and have been known to drive back just to check. It's part of my keys, wallet, phone, check. I've done
2: that, Erica. Left the door open, completely open.
1: Really? For just, hours. Oh my God. Yep. Summer or winter? Summer, so. Wasps, mosquitoes?
2: No, nothing, just, and also, but then you come home and you're like doing this check behind shower curtains and stuff for like the, <laughs> the boogeyman that's going to jump out at you because I'm the idiot that left the door wide open.
1: Yeah, I left my balcony door open once and a couple of wasps got in, so I had, uh, that was fun, chasing them out of, from behind the Venetian blinds. morning's question, do you own a handgun? Yes or no? You can also... Take that poll on Twitter at 680CJOB. We'll put it up on our Facebook as well. And feel free to weigh in on Twitter or Facebook as to tell us why. Why do you have a handgun? If you're not comfortable putting it on Twitter or Facebook, you can just text us 204-780-6868. We can keep you anonymous because we're curious to know if you own a handgun, why you own a handgun.
2: And we're asking that because a downtown shooting that left one person dead has yet another city politician calling for a handgun ban in Winnipeg. So we already know Mayor Brian Bowman has said he supports a ban, and Prime Minister Justin Trudeau has previously said during the election that he would consider allowing a ban on a city-by-city basis, so making it up to the municipality. Now Fort Rouge City Councilor Sherry Rollins is adding her name to the list of people who think a ban could work.
3: Ottawa, Toronto, Montreal have all called on the federal government to get going on a handgun ban in cities. Uh, It'll only work, I think, if it's in cities and municipalities.
2: So she made those comments after police shared more on the second homicide of the year. We had the one in St. Fatale that looks like it might have been a roommate situation. And then we had this one at the Windsor Hotel, which is a familiar location to police. We know police tape was up there all Sunday afternoon after one person was shot dead. Two others injured in that shooting around just before 3 a.m. Sunday. Police have identified the victim as a 20-year-old. His name was Yasin Abdu Ahmed a city employee who worked at a West End community center. And while friends and family are mourning the loss of Ahmed, Rollins is pushing for action. But police say a ban doesn't make sense.
3: I can call on the federal government to uh, and ask them to move ahead on their federal commitment during the election to ban handguns in cities and municipalities. I'm interested in them doing that today more than ever.
4: It's no different than, than, than there being a stolen car in Winnipeg and somebody saying, you know, it should be illegal to bring stolen cars into Winnipeg.
0: People are going to get their hands on handguns. Now, Constable Rob Carver, who you heard at the end of that clip, says the majority of the guns they seize are stolen. When we seize handguns, the handguns are always
4: almost 100% in the possession of people who have no legal right to possess them. They're almost always stolen or illegally obtained. I simply don't see as a 27-year veteran how adding another layer of law will make any difference anywhere
0: in this country. The Global News reached out to the owner of the Windsor Hotel about this latest shooting. And while the owner did not want to appear on camera, he says the suspects involved came off the streets and were not guests there.
2: As for the victim, we've also reached out to friends and those who you knew Yassine Ahmed, again, who was just 20 and, and looking for more information about him. We understand he had worked hard in the community, he had moved here uh, from overseas when he was a youth. And so there's lots of questions about uh, what happened that night. But the bigger question here raised from Councillor Rollins is the idea of this handgun ban. And you've already had the police say repeatedly over the last year that this, his in his words yesterday, would not help one iota. And what I, what I would still like to see is... Do we have a breakdown over the years of handguns that have contributed to murders, but handguns that were actually stolen from legal owners versus handguns that were stolen from other criminals, stolen and brought across the United States, uh, brought in from Mexi- Mexico or other markets? Like, what What actually are legal handguns doing to the problem? Are they actually contributing a large percentage to the amount of crimes we're seeing on Winnipeg streets? Well, and if you own a handgun—
0: Legally, there are a whole set of rules you need to follow, but if you've acquired one illegally and are walking around with one, isn't that simply a crime on its own to be walking around with a handgun in your possession anyway?
2: Right. You can't do that in Canada. We've been looking at some of the laws and Brett, you were saying, you know, some people who own handguns and you you have to have it in a locked box in your house. And I think the ammo has to be in a separate locked situation. And then if you take it in your car, you have to, A, you have to go through all the tests that anyone else gets a gun for. So you have to go through the background check. There's a waiting period, all all those kinds of things. But if you own a handgun, then you have to register to be part of... um, like a shooting range, like a gun club. Right. And then you can only transport that gun in your vehicle. And someone can correct me if I have this wrong, but in a locked box in your vehicle. So it's not like the states where the handgun, you know, you have that fear that someone's reaching over to the glove box and going to rip out that handgun in that road rage incident or something like that. They can't be transported fairly easily, but are they being stolen fairly easily from legal owners? It sounds like the police don't think that's part of the, a big part of the problem. Okay, so... If
0: I, even if I own a handgun legally and I transport it improperly, I'm breaching the law. Right. If I've acquired a handgun on the street from someone nefarious or otherwise, and I'm walking around with it on my person, I'm already in breach of a law. Right. So what do I need another law that says I can't walk around with a handgun in the back of my jeans or in or the inside pocket of my parka?
2: Because maybe they're trying to get rid of any. That percentage of guns, be it small or whatever, that are out there that they just say shouldn't be out there anyway, well, which would so, be those legal ones. And
0: so this is the argument that people in the United States, when they get worked up about the Second Amendment and my right to bear arms and to hold and to control a certain type of weapon, that it's my right to do so. That's why people get worked up, because they say you're putting in a law that punishes Everyone, in particular the people who feel they need it for protection or whatever reason, I don't even necessarily need a reason, it's the law says I'm allowed to have one, but you're going to take it away from me when... The criminals have zero intention of following that law. That's why people get worked up about these things.
2: And one of our listeners just said, fine, if you ban the handguns, I'll just put them in my cottage, which is another part of the equation. We're not talking about a national ban. We're talking about a city-by-city ban. So if I'm a legal gun owner and you're now telling me I can't own my handgun, but I have another property outside the city, you're not getting rid of my gun. I'm just moving my gun to that property where it is legal.
0: Well, I just If I'm a criminal and I'm not storing that weapon properly... I could be charged for that if I'm walking around with it the mere fact that I have it is against the law the way I do it I just don't understand what what this would achieve
2: You're thinking there's a criminal out there who's been like oh I was going to go shoot this person but I'm not allowed to carry this gun on the That's street not so happening. therefore the gun law will deter me not the murder charge
1: Adam texting us at 204-780-6868 Yes I own a handgun yes I own several Why, you might ask? Well, one of my previous jobs allowed me to carry a handgun on the street. With a carry permit, while I was employed, I used the handgun for target practice. Since then, I still regularly go shooting at the gun range. I've taught my wife to shoot, and I will teach both my children. And, Loren, you mentioned uh, that one of my friends owns some guns. I think he has a couple of rifles, and I'm pretty sure he has at least one or two. Well, he definitely has one handgun. I think he has a couple. And he, yeah, he used to live down the street from a shooting range, he just likes to go to the range and shoot the guns. And uh, I think maybe there's even a, like a collectible mm-hmm. sort of situation about that. He just likes to collect the guns, but like a sport more. Yeah, he oh. just likes to he just likes to go to the the, the range and shoot them. And and uh, he showed me the box. And I, you know, if if you really wanted to use, if he decided he wanted to use that gun for illegal purposes, it would be a lot of work to do that because it was in a box, and I think he had it in a locker. So, yeah, it was, uh, he took care of his guns, and he just likes to have guns. Let us know, 204-780-6868. And again, cast your vote on the question of the day at cjlb.com Do you own a handgun? Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Did I hear you say something about Vittel, Bishop Grandin, something, same person? What was the deal with that, Greg? Yeah, Vittel, Bishop Grandin, apparently same person bizarre. Who knew?
2: I actually I just learned that this morning because Greg had spotted this article and then we saw on the agenda for the City Hall that they're looking at this proposal that maybe some of the names we've been d- using for our streets and malls for years, well they might not have the background that they think you do and one of them is St. Vitale Mall or Bishop Grandin, Greg.
0: Yeah, exactly. So they're both named after Catholic priest Vitale, Justin Grandin, who was one of the earliest supporters of the residential school system. What about Wolseley? We think about that as one of the Quiet uh, parts of our city. The history of the name, he was actually an army commander essential, uh, essentially set to Manitoba to confront Louis Riel during the Red River Rebellion, and uh, just a couple of the names that are under the microscope or could come under the microscope at City Hall. Now, we're not there yet. A committee that was asked to look into this found almost half of of Winnipeg or surveys did not support removing historical markers, but many did support the idea that you could keep the names, but add context to the name in a plaque or other, whether it comes to a, a school, a park or, or otherwise. So what
2: there do go- we do here? There
0: goes Google map. Oh. <laughs> <laughs>
2: but, but I think this is a great example of, All the places you go and you drive down those streets and you just don't, I've never paused to think of who that person is or why it was named that way or what it might even mean, which I suppose is shame on me if if it is causing concern to some people.
4: Uh, Well, I know when I first moved to Winnipeg in the mid 90s, uh, one of the things I did rather than memorize the street names, because on some routes they change three or four times, I just memorized the routes. You know, whether it was 165 or Route 90 or... Do you know the routes? Oh, I I know almost every one of them in Winnipeg. You're Uh, the only one.
5: Christian does too.
4: Yeah, yeah. We we actually had a, a quiz in the newsroom there one day, and I think I was able to get all but three, maybe. Wow. Yeah. So you've never
2: paid attention to the names, is what you're saying? It's been numbers. N- now
4: I do, but but back then, to to be able to get around efficiently, yeah, that's what I did.
0: I think yeah. more people from out of town know those route numbers than people who actually live here. Yeah. Yeah. Because
4: I mean, you look at 62. You know, be you Dakota, look at sixty-two. Dunkirk. I have no idea what it Dakota, is. Dun, <laughs> Dunkirk, Osborne, Salter. Not, there is nobody who knew that. You're missing
0: Bolmoral, M- Isabel, Isabel,
4: yeah, yeah. Isabel, yeah, 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 Memorial. <laughs> <Yeah. See, laughs> you're a nerd just like me. <laughs> but I didn't know that was
0: 62. Yeah, yeah. So Memorial isn't part of that. So that's my solution. If yeah. we have a problem with all these names, let's just go to the number solution, like they have in Calgary and Edmonton. Let's just be done with it, and then but, we don't have to t- talk about this anymore.
4: Yeah, I, I don't know how much is on paper. So digitally, you could change a lot of this. And, and the cost would be fairly low.
0: Oh, but to change uh, all the street signs?
4: There's not that yeah. many
5: signs, though. Most intersections don't have proper signage. Exactly. Oh, okay. <laughs> Forever craning my neck, trying to, was like, whoa, what street is this? And there's one dinky little thing on one of the four corners, and uh, it's always half bent anyways, or snow's covering it. And so all right, like, so let's
0: put all that <laughs> uh, aside. Why are, we, why
5: are we obsessed with naming stuff after people? Uh, because uh, because it, was
0: su- it was supposed to be an honor once yeah. upon a time, yeah. right? Well, so That's switch it to inanimate
5: the- objects. Table Street and Chair Boulevard, <laughs> Pencil <laughs> Avenue. A chair won't ever <laughs> let us down. Right? Exactly. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you what know, going wrong with it? What? Chairs break.
2: <laughs> One of the arguments in this report, and again, they're just looking at it and they want to have consultations with people in the city and, and, and whatnot, is that you have all these names and a lot of them are named after historical fi- figures in the modern uh past two centuries and I guess that's not modern, but in, in recent uh-huh. times and it doesn't pay any tribute to any of our indi- indigenous people or historians or in that capacity. And so there's this sort of gap there. And on the other hand, you have people saying, well if you change it, do we learn anything from that? Did we learn from our past if we just sort of
0: let it stand?
2: Erase it. Or if we, if
0: we erase you got rid it? of that
2: name, what have we learned from that? So a street name you can't add underneath Bishop Grant in like a historical context. It wasn't really a nice as guy. As you're going underneath the bridge, or potentially wasn't, right? And and wasn't a nice guy according to many people. As it turns out, yeah. But if you looked if you had a school, you could, could you keep the name and add a plaque so that we're learning from that? Or is it do we really need to change the name? Be- yeah. Because it might be better to find someone better to give this honor or tribute to. Well
1: and here's another thing too. If you cha- you could change the name, but people are still gonna call it bishop yeah. for God knows how many years. I mean, here's a, just an example. There's a bar in Transcona. Canada's Transcona Yes, that was forever known as the Oak. Didn't matter what the bar was called. Everybody called it the Oak because it used to be the Golden Oak Inn to the point where Canada's eventually renamed the bar the Oak for a couple of years. (laughs) Now it's what, Nashville? It's called Nashville now. But my buddies still, if they refer to that bar, they still call it the Oak. So I think you could change the street name, but people are probably still going to call it whatever it was before. But I think
2: it's such good food for thought. Like I really do think now as I drive down Bishop and I do almost every day or go to St. Vitale Mall, I'm going to have, to, not that it's going to, I won't avoid those roots because of the name, but I did not know. I said that to you this morning. Wow, I feel kind of stupid. I didn't I didn't get this history at all here.
4: Yeah. How- I, even some of the newer neighborhoods, though, like there are all kinds of names I know out by my area in Canterbury Park. Uh, I mean, I live on Alex Taylor Drive. I have no clue who Alex Taylor it's is. It's probably the grandkid Kevin of the Taylor. developer. Yeah.
5: <laughs>
0: But isn't there
4: a, a lot of, a of the common names
5: Kyle, isn't there a
0: street in Transcona for Rod Black?
5: Uh
1: there's a bunch of them, I
5: think. Yeah, <laughs> right. There's Tim a...
0: Sale, Way, well, like we're some of these uh, people are still alive that we're naming streets well, after. The, like, they're, they're still then, they've, right? exactly. They got lots of time to, to more landfill. Still.
2: Hey, <laughs> Alex, Alex Taylor sounds like he just liked Transcona a lot, from what I can tell. Oh, there you go. We're asking right now is Who do you think has the right to a medically assisted death? And why do you think that? It's one of the questions the federal government is asking Canadians because it wants them or us to help shape some possible changes to the current medically assisted death or dying law. Right now, only Canadians who are near death can seek an assisted death to end their suffering. But a court ruling in Quebec last year ruled that criteria was actually unconstitutional, and the government agreed it would make changes to the law. Now, it just has a few weeks to make those changes, I think up until March 8th. But before it does, it's asking you guys, the public, to weigh in. It actually launched a questionnaire yesterday asking you to weigh in on your thoughts and what kind of safeguards need to be put in place in order to prevent abuse that might come from removing that foreseeable death requirement from the current law. We got some numbers from Manitoba, and they're actually pretty interesting in terms of how many people have sought to end their own life since this became legal back in 2016. So four years ago, there were just 42 requests for medical assistance to death 313 last year. That's almost one every day. But of those 313 requests in 2019, only 177 were actually approved. And that worked out to about less than half or sorry, just over half were being approved.
0: 56%.
2: Right. So less than half or almost half are being denied. So Susan Desjardins with the group Dying with Dignity and joins us now. Good morning, Susan. Good morning, Lorraine. How are you? We're good. We, we were looking at those numbers this morning. and We're actually kind of shocked to see how many people were actually turned down. And first of all, I'm curious, what circumstances are people being denied? Is this because under the law, they don't meet those requirements right now?
3: Uh, well, Lorraine, there, there are several um, eligibility criteria that need to be met. Um, they include that you have to be diagnosed with a grievous and irremediable condition. You have to be in a state of irreversible decline. You have to be suffering intolerably. And you have to have a death that's considered reasonably foreseeable, a natural death. And in most of the cases where people are refused, it's because they don't meet that last criterion.
2: So if they don't meet that criteria right now, that sounds like that could change in the near future. Is this a positive step forward for many people? And and when we talk about foreseeable future and removing that from the law, what kind of scenario would that help? You know, can you give me an example of where that might make a difference for folks who are seeking this Uh, type of end to their suffering or end to their life?
3: Yes, absolutely. Um, As an example, you mentioned the recent uh, Quebec Superior Court decision um, for um, Monsieur Truchon and Madame Gradu, And they are very good examples of the circumstances where an individual is assessed and considered to meet all of the criteria except that their death is not reasonably foreseeable. So in the case of Madame Gradu. Uh, She had polio as a child, she had a lot of very severe consequences of that and she also now has post polio syndrome. Um, She is in her 70s. She was assessed and she met all the criteria except that it was felt that her death would probably not occur before two or three years and therefore she was excluded from having access to assisted death even though she is experiencing terrible suffering. So essentially, in the ruling in uh, Quebec, the the justice identified this clause as being unconstitutional because it infringed her right to security and liberty of the person.
0: So, in the case of Madame Gladue, I'm I'm just imagining that in her mind, her life is as close as it can be to death, but there is this time frame that is imposed or is a part of this uh, right to die law and. And it's not necessarily super flexible. Am I oversimplifying things there?
3: Um, No, that's a very good uh, assessment of it. And in fact, it's further complicated um, since Quebec initiated their law prior to the federal legislation. And the law in Quebec actually requires that the person be within approximately six months of death. So that automatically excluded her. um, And there are issues between uh, jurisdictional issues that have created that problem. The reasonably foreseeable death criteria is one that's subject to interpretation by, um, you know, the assessing physicians. So in in Madame Glezu's case, because of the legislation in Quebec and because of how the federal legislation was interpreted in that context, she was deemed to be not eligible at that time.
1: So Canadians have until January 27th to offer their views. The law has to be amended by March 11th under a court ruling, so that consultation schedule only leaves a few weeks for the government to draft new legislation suggesting maybe they'll have to ask the court for an extension. So uh, do you think maybe they're dragging their heels, like this is a way for them to drag their heels?
3: Um, I don't believe so. Um, Quebec has often led the way with respect to assisted dying and has... um, been involved in extensive consultations uh, prior to the uh, law being initiated uh, three and a half years ago and also more recently with respect to the question of whether individuals should be allowed to make an advance request and their consultations have gone on for several months. So in this case, I think the fact that the federal government is trying to consult with Canadians and various interested organizations in a relatively short period of time suggests that they are trying to meet the deadline that was set by the the Truchon decision in Quebec. Um, But as you say, it doesn't leave them a lot of time. Um, So unless there's a strong consensus, which I think the Canadian public can help contribute to, it might be difficult for them to meet that deadline and as we know, um, when um, the Carter decision um, was rendered, uh, the courts allowed a certain amount of time at that point for legislation, and the government uh, did have to request. an extension.
2: Susan, we only have about 20 seconds, so I'll just be Mm -hmm. quick. Do you think, though, with this questionnaire, I mean, some people will argue it's a slippery slope. So if the six months was the criteria, you had to have that foreseeable death and remove that. Do you think there still should be some sort of timeline, a one year, two year, three years to death so that there can be a balance here in terms of preventing abuse of the assisted dying law?
3: Uh, We've had three and a half years of experience with absolutely no indications of abuse with the reasonably foreseeable criteria, which allows for um, interpretation and, you know, is more flexible than what has been in Quebec. And I think we have to remember the main purpose of this legislation of the Carter decision was to alleviate intolerable suffering for individuals. It's in the first paragraph of Carter. So I think if we keep that in mind... Um, and recognize that there are very good um, um, safeguards in place at present that have demonstrated um, that there is not abuse, Um, we should be in uh, very good condition.
1: Susan Desjardins with the group Dying with Dignity, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Susan, thank you very much for this. You're welcome. You can read more at globalnews.ca. We've also linked the story to our 680 CJOB Instagram story. (laughs) Mackling, McGarry and McNabb want to continue the conversation now about handguns.
2: Yeah, this follows a downtown shooting that left one person dead and it led to yet another city politician calling for a handgun ban. That's, of course, Fort Rouge City Councillor Sherry Rollins. She falls in the footsteps of the mayor, Brian Bowman, who said he'd support a ban. They're looking at a more national ban. The prime minister has since said, you know, in October and again in the months following that A municipal ban might be more in line, something that would allow city by city, municipality by municipality to create their own laws. Police already came out yesterday and have repeatedly before saying, quote, this would not help one iota. And for some more context on guns in Canada and how the laws work and whether a ban would even make a difference, we're joined by A.J. Somerset. He's the author of Arms, Culture and Credo of the Gun. Good morning, A.J. Good morning. When it comes to bans, where do you stand on this? Have we found any evidence that they make a difference in any country or jurisdiction where they've been implemented, particularly handgun bans?
5: Well, at a municipal level, uh, no. Um, The problem with uh, a municipal handgun ban is that we don't live in walled cities and we can't control what comes into our cities. So, you know, if we look at the... The um, event that precipitated the national conversation on handguns this time around, it was the Danforth shooting in Toronto, and that gun came from Saskatchewan. So, you know, banning guns within a city won't stop them coming into that city. And they've tried that in Chicago and Washington and the United States, and it didn't work.
2: But nationally, has it made a difference anywhere?
5: Uh, nationally it certainly can make a, a difference you know we can look to um the uk where you know first of all in the uk shootings were at a low level to begin with but they you know banned handguns and um you could argue that has been fairly successful it prevents stolen guns um from entering into the the pipeline the supply for for criminals. But um, Canada, I would have a problem with that because it is so easy to move guns across the border from the United States. And really, that is one of our our largest gun control problems in Canada is simply that we live next to the gun craziest country in the world.
0: So, AJ, help me understand this, because Uh, We are hearing from all sorts of handgun owners who are telling us how they need to store their weapon, how it needs to be secured, how close it can be or more appropriately not be to the ammunition, depending on the weapon. Do we not effectively have a a ban on handguns already? I can't walk around with a handgun in the back of my jeans or in a holster in an open and carry situation. I, I can get stopped for that. By the police without any cause just for walking down the street with it in my hand can I not
5: yeah Canada already has uh quite strict laws on handguns um and in that context you know if we look at, at Canada that's why I would question the effectiveness of a handgun ban even nationally in Canada um there it would have small effects in in terms of reducing the number of stolen guns uh, from getting into the criminal pipeline, but most of them would move across the border from the States. Anyway, Canada has strict laws on carrying uh, weapons of any kind, actually, Uh, you know, you can't carry a concealed weapon in this country um, legally. And Canada has strict laws on handguns and we have strict laws on the storage of firearms. So, um, There's uh, a tendency for some people to sort of conflate the legal gun ownership uh, with the criminal uh, gun problem, but they should be looked at as, as separate things. I mean, the people who own handguns legally, are these are not the guns, by and large, that we are worried about.
0: Do they have, do have an effect, though, because handguns and other guns are stolen and, and, and break and enters, et cetera, and do end up in the pipeline. How big of a deal is that, AJ?
5: Um, well, it, I don't know how it's difficult to say nationally how big a deal it is um, it, the, that is a a problem that apparently has been growing. And one of the ways we can measure that is we can look at the rate at which firearms are used in armed robberies. Uh, Armed robberies are kind of a bottom feeding crime. The people who do them aren't getting their their guns through the gang pipeline they're probably mostly getting them through theft and the rate of that was ten years ago around thirteen percent of robberies armed robberies would involve uh, a firearm and now that's risen to nineteen percent so it it does seem to be growing in line with the the growth in uh, in handgun ownership in Canada because handgun ownership has been growing but you know on on the other hand um that doesn't necessarily dictate that a ban is necessarily the solution. Uh, we can look at, for example, storage regulations to tighten the rules around the security of premises where uh, firearms are kept, for example. So um, it's not clear that, uh, especially in the absence of any national statistics, it's not clear that a handgun ban, which would have, you know, substantial effects in terms of, uh, you know, people losing their jobs, people who are involved in, you know, who work in gun shops and so and losing their jobs, Um, it's not clear that's a great solution uh, to a problem that's kind of a problem of unknown size at the moment.
1: AJ Somerset is our guest, author of Arms, Culture, and Credo of the Gun. And AJ, uh, we asked the question on Twitter, do you own a handgun, and if so, why? And Jeffrey tweets that he owns several. I've been shooting since a kid, myself, and have proudly passed on the sport to my children who will also grow up knowing safe and responsible gun ownership. It's a great sport to promote and develop skills, safety, and responsibility. Wondering if you have a reaction to that.
5: Well, I mean, that's typical. You know, people in Canada who own handguns, are typically uh, sport shooters. They, you know, compete in organized, uh, usually, organized uh, target sports. Um, And, you know, those people are quite passionate about what they do. Um, And I think their biggest problem, one of the the, the biggest frustrations for handgun owners um, is there's only about 250,000 of them in the country, less, less than that, actually. And they don't, they don't feel they get heard. They don't feel they get listened to. um, And they feel that they get lumped in with uh, criminals because we talk about controlling handguns. And of course uh, the, 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 People, when they talk about controlling handguns, they may not actually um, consider those people, uh, legal handgun owners, to be the problem. They consider the, the possibility of the guns being stolen to be the problem. But the handgun owners feel kind of picked on. Uh, they feel that they're being used as scapegoats.
2: One of the things that I think that's interesting, and you delved, this, delved into this in your book a little bit, we talk about the difference between Canada and America when it comes to the culture or the love affair with the gun. We certainly don't have as many gun owners. We certainly have far different, more stringent laws. But when it comes down to it, do Canadians gun owners still have the same mentality overall of my right to bear arms and don't come after me. This is a, another problem, not mine.
5: Um, some of them do. I mean, it, it's difficult to make generalizations about gun owners because uh, gun owners are much more diverse than than, uh, we sort of pretend when we talk about, you know, guns and gun culture. Um, Most of the people in Canada who are gun owners own rifles and shotguns and a lot of them are hunters and so on and that's quite different from people who own handguns. Um, So there are are differing sort of gun subcultures what has happened in Canada over the past 10 years has been a real growth in a really hardcore view of gun ownership, where these guys, they talk about uh, wanting to have the right, wanting to have a constitutional right to own guns. They view themselves as having a right to own guns, a natural right to own guns. Um, and uh, they want the government to back off and they could be you know, quite vehement about their beliefs. And it's a very sort of hardcore culture where you know the watchword is no compromise
1: aj somerset thank you so much for joining us this morning we appreciate your time and insight
5: right thanks for having me on
1: question of the day at cjob.com for mr furnace don't call them first you'll see why call mr furnace 204-832-6243 do you own a handgun yes or no and we were expecting the no to be the majority although hang on a second hang on 68% 68% say yes to owning a handgun. On which platform is, is that, that? Is that correct? Was, that, was, was yes in the lead earlier? I'm trying to remember now. I didn't think so. 68% say yes to owning a handgun. And 32% say no. Is that at CJOB.com? That's at CJOB.com. Interesting. I have
2: been fascinated this morning, have you not, with the people who are texting in, just with their experiences with guns and their gun ownership? And I don't know why that is. I certainly know in rural Manitoba, and having grown up the farm, gun ownership was quite common, including in our own home. But the handgun, to me, is something different. And not because that makes it that person looking to do something bad. I get it's, for some, a sport. But... I didn't expect that to be that amount of response from people saying, yeah, I own a handgun.
0: I think it was only about three, four months ago that I said on the air that I've contemplated the whole idea of getting licensed and figuring out how to operate a gun. I've never as much as held a gun, let alone shoot one. But with the way society is going, I confess to having it in the back of my head that perhaps I'm irresponsible by not knowing how to responsibly handle and fire a handgun. Because back in the day, if you phoned police with suspicions of someone on your property or trying to break into your home, they might be there in 90 seconds, in two minutes. Well, we know that's unlikely to be the case in this day and age. And for someone like me to come probably 180 degrees with regard to guns, I would say that not only societal issues but maybe more education on guns and how people use them or don't use them more appropriately uh, has really turned my opinion on the whole idea of gun ownership on its
1: ear. I'm just looking at our Facebook poll, so far 36 votes yes, 327 no. So I'm just wondering maybe if this if the view the vote on our website is skewed just the way looking at it how it's stacked mm-hmm. because the the word yes is underneath where you check and then maybe so maybe people are clicking on the one underneath yes thinking that it's a yes vote but they're actually voting hmm. Or they're trying to, I don't know. Anyway, I'm just surprised that on CJOB.com it's overwhelmingly in favor of yes, but on Twitter and Facebook it's in favor of no. But tons of great comments and tons of great feedback. Uh, we uh, We heard Jeffrey's comment. Peter also says, yes, I own handguns. I do IPSC sports shooting. It's a fun sport. There's a very active community of shooters in Brandon, Selkirk, and Winnipeg. Some matches get hundreds of participants. I'd encourage anyone to give it a try. It's also fun just to target shoot at the range. Yeah, we have one of our listeners that would answer that message with this. That's
0: ridiculous. Get a new hobby. Unless you're a hunter, which doesn't require handguns, then I don't think guns need to be around. I think we can find other things to do than target sports.
2: And I find myself once in a while waffling on that. I've never really understood the desire to have The handgun, like I said, growing up in a farm, you kept them around for animals that might be bugging your farm animals or maybe for other reasons. I still didn't like ever seeing it in the home. It always kind of bothered me. So I'm not a huge gun fan, but there's people I know who hunt and those kinds of things. And so the handgun always seemed like a separate category. To me, in terms of what your motive was for that gun, which I which I get is not necessarily fair. Plenty of people writing they do it for the target practice or for sport or they just have it. And it's none of my business why they have it. But when it comes to the debate about banning them, I think this next text from this listener kind of hits the nail on the head, saying that, quote, I think I'd be doing my homework regarding handgun bans. How many of Winnipeg or Manitoba's murders or just miscellaneous shootings have actually involved handguns. I'd hazard to guess many are these zip guns that are hitting the streets and with sawed-off rifles and shotguns. Banning ammo is not suggestible either as bullets for these guns is easily accessible during home break and enters. And so the bigger point there to me is how many of these crimes that we're seeing committed with handguns are handguns that have been stolen from legal owners? Are they a 2% part of the problem? 0.5? 20? Like that matters.
0: It does matter because that's part of the argument those against anybody owning a handgun will have is that how do we guarantee that they are being secured and handled properly? And so for those that have zero interest in owning a gun, that's what they'll say. And then when you contrast that to the conversations in the United States, a lot of the things that we're hearing and people are saying to us about handguns are exactly what people in the United States will say with regard to AR, like the, the uh, people assume that the AR stands for automatic rifle, but the, it doesn't. AR stands for something else. But for these high capacity magazines, etc., it's the same argument. So th- where's the plateau? At what point are we concerned about what type of weapon people can get their hands on and store it? Properly versus a wide open situation that we see in the United States. Do you see the, the 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 opportunity for that gray area to to grow quite
1: rapidly? Yeah, Ryan texting us saying, "Hey, I'll add myself to the list of handgun owners. I target shoot at a range. It's great fun. I have two pistols and an AR. As a restricted gun owner, I am bound to strict laws already. As a restricted licensee, my name is cycled through a daily check with the RCMP. For any reason, I am required to keep." them in an actual safe with a trigger lock while in the safe and the ammo in a separate lockbox. So we really appreciate, and Ryan made the comment, thank you for your fair conversation on this today. So again, we thank you because often when the subject of guns comes up, people sort of get angry Mm -hmm. right away with us. So we appreciate just having an open conversation. And if you
2: don't own one, you don't know the law. And someone texted earlier to say, actually if you own a handgun, and I'd like to know if this is true, you have to go from point A to point B. You can't, if you're going to the gun range, you have to be going to the gun range. You can't stop at a gas station. You can't stop at the grocery store. That means that gun can never be left alone in the car is how I read that. And so it's an added Layer of that gun's not being carted around from mall to playground to whatever in the back of that car. It's going to the gun range, then it's going home to a locked box, and in the car, as we understand it, it's in a locked box as well. So
0: which leads me to my conclusion that it's already illegal to have a handgun and and carry it, transport it, hold it on your person or in your hand any other way than the way it's dictated. In the regulations under the safe and secure uh, portion of the law, AR by the way stands for Armalite rifle, not assault rifle or art- automatic rifle. And uh, one other text message I wanted to read, guys. I own a handgun. I'm a 52 year old woman. I took my restricted license last year. I do it for the fun. The only way that people can carry a gun legally is to take it directly from your home to firing range. It is highly controlled, and I feel fail to see how banning handguns Guns will make any difference.
1: 916 on 680 CJOB. Phone lines are open now at 204-780-6868 for your chance to win tickets to the Winnipeg Ice versus the Calgary Hitmen at Wayne Fleming Arena this Saturday. Call now for your chance to win. Also make sure you head to cjob.com for your chance to get in on the Ultimate Body Measure Experience Package on Friday, January 24th. We here on The Start will make the grand prize announcement live on air. The package includes a Fit 3D scan, resting metabolic testing, and a DEXA body scan. Also go to our various social media, but particularly on Instagram, 680CJOB on Instagram, to see our video. Our promotions guru, Sophia, has put together a really great video that showcases our experience and just how cool it was. Mackling McGarry and McNabb, weather next on The Start.